0: We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom.
1: Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike
2: Graham. On Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals.
1: Dangerous mid morning debate with the great dictator.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attend to when I'm talking to you. On Talk Radio. This mess!
3: and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's another day and another disaster for Jeremy Corbyn. He's all over the front pages today once more thanks to a remarkably awful performance on TV last night when he was repeatedly skewered by Andrew Neil on the BBC on everything from the anti-Semitism problems in the Labour Party to the funding of the £58 billion for the Waspy Women which was hurriedly added uh, over the course of the weekend post the manifesto publication. The leader of the Labour Party was increasingly grumpy as he attempted to answer a series of probing questions from 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 the best inquisitor in the business. He failed to apologise for the anti-Semitism in his party four times, despite being asked to do so. He revealed that thousands of people on low incomes would pay more taxes under his plans, which up until now had been completely and utterly denied. And he was humiliated over his last-minute pledge to compensate those WASPy pensioners when he couldn't say where the money was going to come from. His basic answer was, we're going to pay for it because we have to. This morning, Jeremy is launching yet another Labour promise on the NHS, and we'll be hearing from Richard Bergen as well. We'll be finding out from Quentin Letts of the Times what he made of it all. The big question is, has Corbyn blown it? 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll also be hearing from the SNP as well, as they launch their manifesto for the election. And we'll be asking how it is possible for Blackpool to have a worse mortality rate than some parts of the poorest parts of Eastern Europe. 0344 499 1000. We'll also bring you the latest from the USA with LaDonna Harvey as well. Don't Donald Trump is coming this way uh, in a few days' time for the NATO summit. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk
2: Radio. A mid-morning dance with the
3: devil.
1: The independent republic of Mike Graham.
0: On talk radio. I'm a
1: fool, but I love you dear until
0: are. Now
1: and then and I've such a
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. We will get to many of your calls. We have got loads of them coming in already. Uh, we'll get you all on between now and one o'clock, of course. The SNP uh, are manning their uh, battleships for their launch of their manifesto today. We'll bring you all of that. Jeremy Corbyn also uh, making a speech about the NHS. We'll bring you that as well. Right now, though, we're going to speak to Richard Bergen, Shadow Justice Secretary. Uh, he's a Labour candidate for Leeds East as well. Uh, we spoke to him this morning because he's launching today... Uh, um, a uh, boost to 18 violence reduction units, which are meant to tackle the highest rates of gang-related violent crime.
2: However, I thought, well, I better start off by asking him how he thought the interview with Jeremy Corbyn went last night. Well, it was a tough, combative interview. That's Andrew Neil's reputation. It's a well-deserved uh, reputation. Uh, but I think that Jeremy made his points clear in relation to um, correcting the injustice. Uh, faced by so many women over their pension in our country uh, about his opposition to anti-Semitism and to racism and his his vision, really, for a Labour government that's on the side of ordinary people across the country. But, of course, it was a tough interview. Those interviews are meant to be tough, as Boris Johnson and Joe Swinson know as well. And do you think he should have apologised, though, because that's what people seem to have picked up
3: on this morning, not so much that he talked about anti-Semitism for quite a long time and he talked about his regrets and he talked about how sorry he was that this was something that happens in society, not just within the Labour Party, and and I think that point was well made. But at the end of the day, basically, um, he didn't say
2: sorry. Well, he's apologised... Previous on a number of occasions for that, but in this interview, whereas is always the case, there's plenty of interruptions back and forth, he was also trying to make very serious points about the action Labour's going to take in relation to in government properly supporting the community support trust, which keeps people going to synagogues safe. And also, he wanted to talk uh, about Labour's policy in relation to ensuring that anti-semitism awareness is a compulsory part of cu- the curriculum uh, in our schools i saw a figure the other day that one in 20 people in this country don't believe that the holocaust happened that should alarm us all so we need to ensure uh, that uh, we have uh, in place education right across uh, our society but as i say uh, jeremy has uh, apologised on a number of occasions Um, and has made it clear how sorry he is that the Labour Party's processes weren't Harder weren't swifter. Action has been taken uh, to redress that in relation to the small number of Labour members who've said and done completely abhorrent, completely unacceptable anti Semitic things. Yeah,
3: I think people do genuinely believe that Jeremy Corbyn is not anti Semitic, uh, because I think he has made plenty of statements to that effect over the years. However, do you think it was a mistake, Richard, yesterday, for him to launch the Race and uh, and Faith Manifesto? Well, while being joined on the stage by two members of the Labour Party, who had previously had to apologise for anti-Semitic remarks and things that they had said?
2: I think the Race and Faith Manifesto, uh, and it, the first time we did that was in 2017, so it's great we did it again in 2019, I don't think any other party's done that before, uh, actually shows how seriously we take all of these issues. And, for example, one of the policies announced in the Race and Faith Manifesto was going to make uh, we're going to make attacks on places of worship such as synagogues or attacks on sacred religious places such as Jewish cemeteries an aggravated offence and that shows I mean it's not only um, words but actions that count and so a Labour government also will take action to ensure that the Jewish community in our country and other minority communities are safe in the face of an increasing scourge of discrimination and racism in our country and actually around the world as well. I mean,
3: you yourself have had to deny um, uh, that you believe Zionism is the enemy of peace after you were recorded saying that. Why would you do that if if you had said it in the first place? Why would you then say, actually, I didn't mean that?
2: Because it was a crude phrase that I used years ago, uh, back before I was an MP. Uh, I think the full quote was: "It's not the Jewish people at the uh, at the enemy of peace; it's Zionism that's enemy of peace." Is what was said. I apologise for that because it's a crude phrase that doesn't explain the differences between different people who classify themselves as Zionists. When I went to Israel and Palestine, uh, I met uh, people. Uh, who class themselves as Zionists, who are working towards a two-state outcome. So their view is very different from views of people I think are hardliners like Benjamin uh, Netanyahu. So I apologise because it was crude. It failed to distinguish between the different uh, strands because, of course, uh, somebody can be uh, a Zionist uh, and believe in a two-state Outcome a secure and safe Israel along a sec- alongside a secure and safe Palestine. Whereas there are some hardliners uh, in politics in Israel who don't seem to believe uh, in a viable Palestinian state at all. And the Labour Party's position, quite correctly, is a two-state outcome which protects both Israelis and Palestinians.
3: And I promise I will move on to what you're actually announcing today. But just one final question on, on last night's interview. Do you think that, that Jeremy Corbyn has damaged Labour's chances by... by- his performance last night?
2: No, I think it was a difficult interview and there's no point in pretending uh, it wasn't, just as Joe Swinson's recent interviews have been difficult, Boris Johnson's recent interviews uh, have been difficult. I think that all party leaders will face further Uh, difficult interviews before the campaign's over. And actually, that's right. Interviews are meant to be difficult. That's what good journalism is about.
3: It is indeed. I'm not going to make this any more difficult for you. Let's talk about your announcement today. You're going to boost 18 uh, violence reduction units looking at uh, gang-related violent crime, very much in the news this week because of this movie that's come out, uh, which has now been banned from all View cinemas.
2: Well, violence reduction units, it's going to go hand in hand with properly uh, boosting uh, the uh, police. And the case study we're using, actually, uh, is in Glasgow. Glasgow, until fairly recently, uh, was the most violent uh, place uh, in Western Europe. Mm. But due to this focus on violence reduction units, due to this focus on, yes, tough policing, but also treating... Um, violent crime as a public health issue. that actually managed to get murder rates down to the rates who were in the 1970s and have had a huge reduction uh, in, uh, in knife crime. So that's the reason that we're wanting uh, and we're announcing today that we're going to boost violent reduction units in the areas across the country where gang crime is most prevalent. We're going to boost the number of police there, boost their resources in order for the... Outcome, which is what we should all be after, which is to reduce the number of victims of crime, because what is clear is that the failed approach of the Tories over the last decade hasn't worked, it's made communities less safe, it's increased fear of crime, and actually it's increased victims of crime. And how
3: exactly do these violence reduction units work? Is it a stop-and-search scenario? Is it, is it based on something else? How does it, how does it actually operate? Well, it's a, operate? a number
2: of things, but violence reduction uh, units are where the, uh, there's a unit of police in each area of the most violent uh, areas, and what they do uh, is they... It's wider than just policing, because the police also coordinates with other agencies addressing these problems. For example, probation. Um, which is vital, local government, which is vital, Uh, and even schools. So they treat it almost like a disease. So in the first instance, they they attempt to isolate the disease of violent crime uh, and stopping it spreading by really focusing in with... uh, very active policing uh, on people in those areas who are committing violent crimes and then they look at the root causes of those crimes. Often the root causes are things like alcohol and drug addiction and I have to say that the decimation of the youth service in this country by the government in the last 10 years hasn't helped things at all, which is why I'm proud that Labour government will be uh, introducing a statutory uh, youth service. And funnily
3: enough, just by completely
2: uh, coincidence,
3: I got an email from my my kids' school yesterday saying that they're in partnership with the No Knives Project, uh, which apparently is going to be uh, introducing people to police officers in schools and they're going to be teaching kids in schools about the dangers of knives and knife crime and all of that. So how is this different from what's already happening?
2: Well, it's boosting it uh, further... I think we have a different view to the Conservatives in the in the first place we wouldn't have cut uh, the 20,000 police that they cut. But secondly, we think that the first priority has to be getting more Bobbies on the beat, uh, a greater proportion uh, of police officers out there on the front line. Because when I speak to people, even as when I've been a local MP since 2015, obviously I'm not an MP now because I'm not an MPs, but uh, people are very clear that their first priority uh, is to have the reassurance of more community police officers out there rather than in back rooms doing bureaucracy and admin, as important as that uh, can be. And actually, in terms of intelligence gathering, it's very important as well. Anything from lower-level antisocial behaviour right through to terrorism, actually good community policing, can stop, uh, can spot the signs uh, of this behaviour and these tra- trajectories of behaviour and stop it escalating.
3: A couple more weeks to go, uh, finally, Richard, in the, in the campaign. Um, I'm struggling to see... What- what you guys, and I don't mean just Labour, but everybody, uh, is going to be offering us uh, uh, lucky people over the course of that period of time, because you've kind of thrown everything at us already. What else
2: are we going to be looking at seeing over the course of the next two weeks? Well... Uh, This morning at 10 o'clock, there's going to be an announcement uh, by Jeremy, I I believe, which uh, people will be very excited about, about the National Health Service. As to what happens in the next two weeks, I don't want to uh, spoil the (laughs) surprise. Uh, We've already made plenty of uh, policy announcements. There'll be further announcements uh, to be made. But I think what's going to become very clear in the next two weeks is people have got a choice between a Labour government which is on your side or a Conservative government bankrolled by the billionaires. At the end of the day, there's only going to be either a Labour Prime Minister, Jeremy Corbyn, or a Tory Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. And that's why I think we'll carry on seeing um, the Liberal Democrat voters coming towards Labour uh, because people realise a practical choice that's before them. And I don't think people out there who don't like the Conservative Party want to end up blaming themselves for the Tories getting back in. Richard Bergen, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure.
3: Richard Bergen there standing uh, is as a, a candidate, of course, in Leeds East. Other candidates are Jill Mortimer from the Conservative Party, Shahad Adris from the Green Party, David Dresser from the Liberal Democrats, and Sarah Wass uh, from the Brexit Party. Uh, we'll be hearing more from Jeremy Corbyn coming up shortly. He is, uh, at the moment, addressing uh, an audience of the press, talking about how he's got an unredacted document which apparently proves that the NHS is for sale to America. We'll hear some of that coming up very shortly. Across the UK,
1: online and on DAB.
3: The Independent Republic
2: of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Hey,
0: how you doing? I'm sorry you couldn't get through. Cause this is a message that's been recorded especially for you. And if you leave a name and your number we'll get right back to you. You can leave a message now if you want to. Saw
3: through Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 We are, of course, your election station. We are the only place where you can have your voice heard because we care about what you think. We just don't bring you the voices uh, of all the politicians. We also bring you the voices uh, of those who are going to elect those politicians, right? Uh, Alex says this. Ironically, the NHS proves nationalisation does not work. Steve says, so your Labour MP thought Corbyn did well last night. If he's that naive, how the hell is he going to sort out violent crime? Uh, Owen, oh, just a question. Where's the money coming from uh, for these violence Units as if we didn't know. Uh, And Bob says, suddenly when they become an MP on nearly £80,000 a year and benefits, they become enlightened and should be forgiven for their true views expressed when they were young and free. Uh, Is that for you, Richard Bergen? Richard Bergen, of course, just talking to us there about Labour's plan uh, to boost several of these violence reduction units. Coming up, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, the Trade Minister, the Minister for Digital and Broadband, rather, from the Conservative Party, Matt Warman, uh, also a candidate for Boston Skegness, about how they're going to attack. Um, A lot of importance to mobile signals uh, and getting better phone coverage across the country, uh, as if uh, the Labour Party's broadband promises were not enough. But let's listen uh, to Jeremy Corbyn, who just now, uh, literally a few minutes ago, launched uh, an attack on the Tory party, saying basically that he has recovered some kind of unredacted document which shows that the NHS is definitely on sale to the
0: Americans. Perhaps he'd like to explain why these documents confirm the US is demanding the NHS is on the table in the trade talks. These uncensored documents leave Boris Johnson's denials in absolute tatters. Voters need to ask themselves some very serious questions. Is the NHS safe in Boris Johnson's hands? We've now got evidence that under Boris Johnson, the NHS is on the table and will be up for sale. He tried to cover it up in his secret agenda, but today it's been exposed. Now we know the truth. When Johnson says, get Brexit done, it's a fraud on the British people. This is the reality. Years of bogged down negotiations and our NHS is up for sale. This election is now a fight for the survival of our National Health Service as a public service free for all at the point of need. So for the want of any doubt, let me give this reassurance. Labour will never ever treat our NHS as a bargaining chip in trade talks with anybody. We will never let Donald Trump get his hands on our NHS because our NHS is not for sale.
3: Now, obviously, I haven't seen these documents. They have been handed out, 451 pages of unredacted documents that Jeremy Corbyn says confirm the NHS will be on the table in trade talks with the United States of America. Donald Trump, of course, is coming here uh, next week uh, as part of the NATO Summit Brigade, and uh, they'll all be meeting up uh, and discussing what to do uh, going forward with uh, various armed forces across Europe and across the world. Jeremy Corbyn is making a big deal uh, of this. Right now, uh, we're going to talk to Matt Warman, Minister for Digital and Broadband, in the talk. Party, uh, who's going to tell us about their plans for expanding mobile phone coverage in the country. But Matt, before we start that, uh, I wouldn't mind if you'd ask uh, if you'd answer the questions uh, that I'm going to ask you about Jeremy Corbyn today, because you probably haven't seen these documents either. Um, he's not being particularly specific about what it is that he says proves um, that the NHS is on the table uh, for sale to the, U- to the United States of America. What do you make of
4: this? Um, I mean, I think it's yet another conspiracy theory that uh, Jeremy Corbyn supports, isn't it? Um, We've been absolutely clear the NHS is not on the table in trade talks. Um, Trade talks are designed to uh, deliver economic growth, the Tory party's commitment to the health service is not a part of that. What we will do is make sure that the health service has the funding that it needs because of a sound economy. This is a very straightforward commitment from the Conservative Party. And as I say, it's more of the usual scaremongering from Jeremy Corbyn.
3: Yes, it's interesting, isn't it, that he's chosen today to unveil this. Um, it came out quite late last night that this was going to be the plan. Um, I suppose you would have seen his uh, appearance on Andrew Neil's show last night. Is Boris Johnson going to be going uh, for the same treatment too?
4: Uh, how, how do you mean going to the same treatment?
3: Well, is is Boris going to be... I don't, I don't believe, yes, I don't believe yes, Boris yes. has actually agreed yet to go on Andrew Neil's show uh,
4: or at any particular time. Uh, I believe that we are in the process of sorting out a date for that rather than uh, that there is any doubt that it will happen.
3: OK, you don't think he's going to take the view that maybe no. it's a better idea not to go on it? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I mean, Andrew Neil is clearly um, a very tough interviewer. He is. But, uh, it's own, it's, it's a, it, you have to look at... Uh, what uh, the sort of performance Jeremy Corden put up yesterday, and it is very obvious that this is not someone who is fit to be Prime Minister.
3: Okay. Now, you're unveiling today um, a plan to make it much more possible for people who live in very rural parts of the country to get a better mobile signal. As someone who what used to be a frequent visitor to Dorset, I can, uh, I can certainly concur that it's very <laughs> difficult to get... Uh, I, I, used, to, I used to rent a place down in Corfe Castle, and you used to have to walk to the top of the town and stand outside the bakery to get any kind of phone signal. How are you going to do that? How are you going to fix that? What, so, in now, you see, that's the kind of thing that happens in an election campaign, is campaigning about mobile phone signals, and you lose your own mobile phone signal. We'll try and get that back, uh, Matt. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, Matt Warman, the Minister for Digital and Broadband. See... It's one of those, it's like the thick of it now, isn't it? We're now getting into the thick of it territory, where a guy uh, who's trying to tell me about getting an improved mobile signal loses his mobile
4: signal. I think we've got you back. Matt, that was almost bound to happen, wasn't it? <laughs> You're not in we are you? We're not, we're, no, we're not. I, I, I should have set that up, shouldn't I? But sadly, uh, I, I didn't. Uh, it was genuinely uh, the mobile phone network's letting us down, and it happens all too often, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Well, I mean,
3: I, I am unfortunately the host of a phone-in show and the number of times that mobile <laughs> signals drop, you would not believe. But, you know, why is it so difficult to get a decent mobile phone signal?
4: Well, some of this is down to geography. That's why there are particular challenges in Scotland. But a lot of it is down to uh, investment. And that's why we've brokered this deal to get the four big mobile phone networks to put in half a billion pounds of their own money um, to improve the network, exactly the sort of thing that would be scared of uh, under Labour, but also uh, to put in roughly the same amount of government money to make sure that we deliver uh, almost an end to not spots altogether and also uh, better competition so that it's not just one network that serves some parts of the country. uh, It's uh, as many networks as we can possibly get so that there is meaningful competition that drives up standards. Now,
3: did you decide to do this as a result of Labour's offer of free broadband to everybody or were you always planning to do this anyway?
4: Uh, No, and we've actually been talking about this for uh, a number of months. Uh, This is something that today what we're announcing is bringing forward uh, a commitment that we've been talking about for some time. Um, Labour's proposals on broadband are exactly the sort of thing that are too good to be true, and I think people see that.
3: One of the things that, uh, that people have often complained about is the frequency of, um, of mobile phone masks being put up in their areas. I know uh, I did stories certainly back in the day when I was in newspapers in Scotland where it was discovered that a lot of football grounds had mobile phone masks on the top of their roofs without anybody realising. And then we realised that some mobile phone masks were put up disguised as trees, disguised as all
4: manner of different
3: things. Are you comfortable with, with putting lots more mobile phone masks up um, and, and not risking anybody's health?
4: Well, you're exactly right that uh, people do worry about uh, the health effects of mobile phone masks. They, they, they also worry about not having connectivity. There are really stringent guidelines in place to make sure that there is not uh, a risk to human health. There is no credible evidence that there is a risk uh, to human health. And that comes from the World Health Organization, and, and they certainly know what they're talking about. But the interesting thing about this proposal, and, and the reason it's called the Shared Rural Network, is because it means big operators sharing masts rather than building individual ones of their own. Okay. Um, and that means fewer masts um, and more likely to be in the right place. Um, and, of course, we will make sure uh, that the planning laws deliver that rather than just allowing a complete free
3: OK, Matt, thanks very much indeed. Matt Warman, Minister for Digital and Broadband uh, for the Conservative Party. He's standing, of course, in Boston and Skegness. Amongst the other candidates are Peter Mark Falloon Watson, who's independent, Ben Cook from the Labour Party and Hillary Jones from the Liberal Democrats. We've got much more to do. Many of your calls to take, of course, because we want to hear what you think of the Jeremy Corbyn interview last night, but also of the news that they're breaking this morning. 451 pages, rather, of unredacted documents suggesting uh, that uh, the Conservative party are ready and willing to sell off the NHS to the United States of America. We'll bring you more on that uh, as we have it. This is Talk Radio.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: Now, it's not Friday, which is when Eleanor Mills normally joins us, so she's going to join us now. But it was only last Friday, Eleanor, that you were telling us about this uh, uh, incredible fundraising drive you were launching this past Sunday because of, of some of the terrible things that you'd witnessed up in Blackpool. So it's very timely, in a way, that the Institute for Public Policy Research has, has come out with these mortality figures, which are quite shocking, really, aren't they? Well,
5: they're really shocking. They say that... Um the, the kind of death rates, or the, the time that people die in the northwest of England, is worse. People are dying earlier than they do in parts of really poor parts of Romania and Poland and yeah. bits of Eastern Europe that we think are really far behind us. And when you go to Blackpool, I have to say it's not that surprising. I was really shocked mm. by what I saw. And I'm in Blackpool. They talk about sick life syndrome, and sick life syndrome is a, basically a combination of poverty, ill health. Bad food, yeah. not enough exercise, um, living really on the margins of, sort of society. And a sort of
3: vicious cycle, really.
5: And a vicious cycle of you you eat badly, you don't have any money, so you eat a lot of fast food, you um, are often on, on the breadline, so you don't really take care of yourself. Mm. Uh, the people, A lot of the people that I spoke to, I assumed when I spoke to them, were 20, 30 years older right. than they were. And these um, are people,
3: that, of course, who have absolutely no... Um, I'm not even I'm not going to sound ridiculously middle class and say no savings but literally no spare money at all to do anything
5: oh they've got absolutely nothing I no. was in we went to we went to and visited schools in the poorest parts of Blackpool so these are primary schools which are basically acting as a lifeline to families really on the breadline mm. and we went to the houses of six of the families that the schools had selected as uh, who would speak to us who the, f- the schools were really supporting and when I say the schools are supporting them the schools are giving them food parcels all schools in Blackpool give the children free breakfast because so many of them don't get breakfast before they come into school. I went into school and the um, teachers were kind of greeting the children. It was obviously for t- with some of the children that nobody had really got them up that right. morning. It was a freezing cold day. Mm. They didn't have coats. They didn't have tights on, the, right. the children. And they came in and they were given breakfast and they, they obviously were very pleased to be somewhere warm and safe. And when we went to people's houses, we went to one house where there was no food in the fridge. Yeah. Literally wow. in the fridge. Another woman who hadn't had a cooker for a year. Mm. And when you look at people living in that, and also freezing cold... Because
3: living in those conditions, you forget, don't you, that if something breaks down... Um, and you haven't it's got any money to the fix it. not landlord's responsibility or something like that, you can't get anything, you can't replace it, basically. No, because you
5: haven't got any money. Right. And also, what was, t- what was really shocking to me was how freezing cold these houses were. So we went to the house of one chap who'd got four children, Youngest about three or four, and he hadn't had the heating on yet mm. this year. It was absolutely freezing. I was sitting there in my coat, Because jumper, he couldn't afford it. Because he couldn't afford it. He said either we have the heating on or we eat. Right. And those are the really stark choices facing lots of people. Yeah. So if you're in that situation, well, of course you're not. Haven't got lots of money to go and buy fresh spinach, expensive. Yes. Or you know all the things that might make you
3: live longer. Well, also if you can't get to a shop. Um, Because you live too far away and you can't afford to travel there or something like that? Well,
5: the only shops that there are are... I, I sort of mean, I was really shocked in Blackpool. Yeah, so there's kind of there's Aldi and Little, but they're quite a long way away. Yeah. So to get to them, you might need a car if you're going to go on the bus. Mm. If you're looking after four child, small children on your own, yeah. as anyone who's a parent knows, getting four kids on a bus to yeah. a supermarket to stock up when you haven't really got any money. Lots of them say, "Oh yeah, I know I should go to Aldi or Little and do a kind of spend all the money on the food for the month." And mm. these are people who, after they pay all their you know the bills have gone and stuff, they've got like seventy quid for everything for a family of six. For a week, and so some of them are really budgeting carefully and making kind of vegetable soup and all the rest of it. But for a lot of them, they're really up against it, and they're going to buy a ready meal from the a a really overpriced corner shop, Premier Foods, whatever on the on the corner of the road. And so there's
3: there's numbers here. Um, I'll just read this out to you: Kensington, Chelsea, and Hammersmith and Fulham disposable income per person is around forty-eight thousand pounds higher. Yeah. than in some of these
5: places. Yeah, and when you look around Blackpool, it's really clear. So basic signifiers in the southeast, like we have a coffee shop on practically, practically every yeah. corner, don't we? Costa Coffee, mm. Cafe Nero, right. you know, you name it. There, I mean, down in our underground in, in London Bridge, there are places that sell coffee for £3.50 yeah. a pop. Right. And we, th- you know, in London, that feels quite normal. Yeah. In Blackpool, there was nowhere even selling coffee. The only place you can get a Costa coffee is in the in the express yeah. Costa in the garage. That, that's the level of lack and what of is disposable the, and,
3: income. And, I mean, we talk a lot during the election, of course, as well about sort of investment in the country and money being promised, free broadband here, there and everywhere. I mean, surely they should be fixing this first, shouldn't they?
5: Yeah, they really should. And so Blackpool has got eight out of the 10 poorest wards in the country. Right. And Blackpool is a particular case because it imports to Blackpool people who are poor and who have problems. Yeah. It's got some of the lowest rents in the UK. So if you're a woman fleeing domestic violence or you're someone who's had a really hard time somewhere, or on benefits, if you move to Blackpool, you think, oh, well, I can have a cheap flat. And so Blackpool, Blackpool Council, Blackpool Social Services are dealing with a massive influx of the, of the poor, the sick... People who are really in quite a desperate yeah. condition. So that's also why life expectancy there is And presumably there's low. not much
3: work for them either then. No,
5: it's very seasonal. Yeah. So the one of the guys that I talked to had um, applied for a job in a Wetherspoons on the front in Blackpool where yeah. work before in the summer when there's work. 496 people had applied for wow. one bar job.
3: That's incredible. That's really tough and that's yeah. how
5: bad it is there. Mm. So there's no work, particularly in the winter. There's 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 not very much to do. It's really cold. There's loads of people. When Some of the classes we went into, 90% of the kids in those classes are, um, are the parents are on benefit. Mm. But actually the people who were worst off were the people who were working. So the in-work poverty was unbelievable. There was one woman I spoke to who'd worked 32 hours at her local Aldi. So she was trying. She had three small children and on, once she once it had been adjusted on her universal credit, she was going to get an extra £170 for having worked for 32 hours. If you think she'd have had to pay far more than that just to get her kids looked after while she was in the shop. So the kind of calculations Mm. these people are making are awful. Their lives are really grim. And I'm I'm not at all surprised by this IPPR study because what you see when you go up there is an entire town, an entire area of people kind of living almost on the margins of society, looking in on people. Down in the southeast, who've got forty-eight thousand pounds of free income, and
3: it is really hard to imagine what that must be like, really, isn't it? Because it's it's really um, unthinkable, I think, for most people, even when you see poverty. In London, you don't see it quite as bad as that and as stark as that.
5: No, it's the marginalisation. So, also, when you talk to these children, even though they lived in Blackpool, in one class of eight, nine-year-olds we Mm. went into, half of them had never been to the beach. Right. Um, And and, and and it's on the sea, It's right, on the sea, yeah. yeah. Another lot had been asked in class to write a story about walking through a wood, and they'd never been to a wood. Yeah. We asked them, when was the last time you went to the countryside? And about six of the kids said, What's the Countryside? Mm. This is in England in 2019. And the kind of stunning thing is we're expecting these kids to access the curriculum. How can you write a a kind of story for English about your favourite meal if all you ever get fed is beans on toast? Mm. And free kind of waffles and um, fruit when you get to school. And lots of these kids, age five or or six, were saying, can I take some of the waffles that they were given at school? Can I take them home for my younger sibling? Because they haven't had any breakfast.
3: Unbelievable. And it was
5: really, really sad.
3: And you launched your uh, Christmas, Campaign on Sunday. Yeah, um, so how's that been going? It's
5: been going really well. So we launched the Sunday Times Christmas Campaign, which is to try and help the poorest kids in Britain, and yeah. we started it in Blackpool, right, because of these figures. Because of
3: this, yeah. And and I'm, how did you uh, did you? I'm well, sorry I'm really to proud to say. Yeah, how sorry. did you how did you find out that Blackpool was a good place to go?
5: Well, I, if you look at the if you look at the figures, we're working. We have partnered with a charity called the Education Endowment Fund, okay. which works in the poorest and most deprived bits of Britain to try and help those kids. Right. Um, and they've crunched all the numbers. They um, also work with the department for Education and so they're working what are called social mobility cold spots which the government you're going to laugh at this call opportunity areas uh, of course they do yeah right. so these are like real lack of opportunity areas so, we, so we've got a bit on like the kind somebody of... said
3: to me today the violence prevention centres that uh, Labour wants to start up somebody tweeted me and said I remember they used to be called police stations yeah, <laughs>
5: you know? yeah exactly so I love the idea of opportunity areas yeah. being places where there is no opportunity but anyway we we found those and we we really we've obviously really hit a nerve with our readers so so in the last where are we today Wednesday? Wednesday so yeah, since three days. Sunday we've raised two hundred and thirty thousand wow, pounds.
3: That's amazing. From
5: about two thousand people.
3: And what will that go towards? So
5: that will go towards food parcels for okay. families over Christmas, yeah. Christmas presents for the children, yeah. um, and also more. I think perhaps more importantly, keeping the schools open because mm. the schools are feeding these children and looking after them. So when the holi- when the schools are shut in the holidays, these kids have nothing, and the school is their lifeline. Yeah. So we're, what we're really campaigning for is to have enough money to keep some of these open in the holidays so the kids have got somewhere warm to go where they get fed breakfast and lunch and they have something to do because otherwise they sit at home in the cold probably on a playstation
3: well it's, it's a very sad. worthy it's a very worthy cause. So so where can people go if they want to help out? There's oh well, uh,
5: well it's just it's on just you can go to Just Giving. So if you do Sunday Times Christmas appeal, okay. Just Giving, we'd really really would be so grateful. These kids would love it and I can promise you that the money is going direct to these really needy families. I've sat in their houses myself. Mm. We've seen them. We're going to help them and this money will go straight to
3: them. Okay. Well that's brilliant. Thank you. Eleanor Mills there from the Sunday Times magazine already raised 200 30,000. See if you can help them get up to half a million. Uh, that would be brilliant. Uh, go to Just Giving. Look for the Sunday Times Christmas appeal. Quite remarkable, really, that we should even be talking about this uh, in 2019, in this day and age where people in this country are suffering uh, in areas of poverty which are worse than some of the poorest parts of Eastern Europe. Quite remarkable. Or
2: gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury.
3: The independent
1: republic of Mike Graham
2: on Talk Radio.
1: Help. I need somebody help. help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Help When, when I was younger I So was much younger, younger than today, today I, never I never needed Anybody's help in any
3: 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got lots more to do between now and one o'clock when Matthew Wright takes over, of course. uh, Here's one from uh, Mersey who says, I used to have an egg sandwich for breakfast before school and there weren't food banks back then. There's no excuse to send your kids to school with nothing apart from bad parenting. I think that's absolutely right. And I don't think that uh, um, what we've been discussing uh, is in many ways anything less than bad parenting, but the bad parenting has an effect on the kids and the kids, of course, then suffer in a way perhaps that they shouldn't. Uh, Peter says, Mike, I was brought up in a family of 10 with a father that didn't always work and we never went hungry, so I don't buy all this hand-wringing about the poor of today. But then again, we didn't have mobile phones or Sky TV. Uh, well, certainly what Ele- Eleanor was describing there didn't sound as though anyone's living uh, in the lap of luxury, but let's go at the phones and talk to Laura, uh, who's in Manchester. Hello, Laura.
1: Hi, Mike. Hi, Laura. How are you doing? Lovely to speak to you.
3: Very nice to speak to you, too. What would you like to say?
1: I'm just going to have to stick up for Blackpool here a little bit. A lot of the things that you've been saying are actually true. There are a lot of poor places in Blackpool. But honestly, this about there's no cafes, there's no supermarkets, it's absolutely rubbish. They're building supermarkets in Blackpool like they're going out of fashion. There's more cafes opening. But Bear bear in mind, yet that... There are poor places yeah. in Blackpool, but come on, no, no, I'm not having that. It's not that bad. You're painting the whole of Blackpool to be like this great big, big massive slum, and it's not. There well, I assume parties, it's still. Is it
3: still? A, is it still a destination for kind of hen parties and and and, and stag parties and that kind and of that,
1: thing? And you know what? That is on the front. That is the front. The the. Where the beach is, along there, where all the pubs are, where they all go. There are parts of Blackpool that are absolutely beautiful. Stanley Park, beautiful great big houses, gorgeous places. Um, The De Vere hotels there, golf courses. It's absolute rubbish what this woman is saying. Yes, we we do agree that there are poor places in, in Blackpool. There are, but it's not as bad she is painting out... I don't think thing. she was... I, th- I, I think
3: she maybe oh. gave the wrong impression, Or I don't think she was attempting to say that all of Blackpool is, a, is an absolute pit. I think she was saying that just that there is poverty there and where the poverty is, it probably isn't particularly well served by any of these kind of places, right? I mean, I think that's what she's talking about.
1: The properties in Blackpool are the same properties as everywhere else in the country. Everywhere else. And yes, there are poor people in Blackpool. Like, there are poor people everywhere. In food banks, wherever. But she's just painting the whole place. Like, it's this some sort of slum. And it isn't.
3: It well, yeah, really but the problem.
1: The, great yeah, but- people in Blackpool, great businesses. I don't think anyone's
3: great. meaning to slag off Blackpool, Laura. I just think that this this report has come out from the uh, the uh, Institute for Public Policy Research, and they're saying that Blackpool is one of the poorest parts of the country, and they're saying that the the mortality rates there, i.e. the, the, the death rates, are as bad as they are in some poor parts of Eastern Europe.
1: I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And was she saying about this no work? Well, I tell you what, ask that lady to go on job indeed and have a look at all the work that's in Blackpool, St Anne's, Rhythm, all those places, Cleveland, Saunton. There's plenty of work out there.
3: All right. Plenty. Well, maybe we should tell that to the people who haven't got uh, got work to do. But thank you very much, for Laura. A very staunch defence of Blackpool there from Laura, uh, and I'm sure she's absolutely right. Nobody's slagging off Blackpool here. All we're saying is is that there are very poor people living in a very poor part of Britain, and it shouldn't be like that. It's that simple, really. Well, let's talk to Paul, uh, who's from Blackpool, who I think wants to give me a bit of a going over. Paul, a very good uh, afternoon to you. I don't know.
6: It's not a going over. It's just <laughs> to let you know, if you do. If you ever come to Blackpool you can actually get a coffee.
3: Okay. Uh, so I mean, to be, I, I think concern. I think Eleanor, to be fair, is, is taking a bit more flack than she should be taking because I don't think yep. she was attempting, I don't think she was trying to say to say that Blackpool was a horrible place to go. I think she was, the part of Blackpool where she was and the places that she was spending time in were clearly very poor parts of it. I mean, you know, I haven't been at Blackpool for a very long time Um, but I'm very much aware of what the, the Golden Mile is like and all of that, you know. Um And I don't think anyone's trying to have a go at Blackpool. I think we're just trying to point out that there's a lot of poor people that live in, in, in that part of the world.
6: Oh, no, no, it's got some of the poorest areas. We've got, I think as well, there was a survey done that we've got the most kids in care yeah. anywhere else in the country. The problem with Blackpool, I, I I go all over the country, so when I say I'm from Blackpool, I always get it's the worst things that could possibly happen. Oh, you've got this, you've got that. Really? There is, oh, all the time. It, well, I just live outside of Blackpool now. I live in, in a little village called Staney, which okay. is just literally a stone's throw away. Uh, but I was born and bred there. Blackpool does have its problems. One of the biggest problems is that obviously it's seasonal. All coastal towns have the same problem. Right. But we we get a lot of people that come to Blackpool to get lost. Yes. In the
3: system. Well, like that was we one, of one of the things she said that a lot of the, the the sort of the worst social care cases have come to Blackpool because the the council has kind of invited them there. Hastings in the south on the south coast of England in Sussex, which is not far from me, has the same problem.
6: Yeah, we've got. I mean, you could get a like a one set. Bed sit for, for forty pounds a week.
3: Right.
6: So, so, so that sort I money. Mean. So it does get those type of people coming. And unfortunately, Blackpool had a lot of B&Bs back in the day. And when we had the crash and stuff, so they looked for alternative uh, revenues So they started to let out to DHSS and stuff, and that attracted the area. So South Shore, that is that's a, a bad area. It's been poorly funded by the council. But there is a lot of funding that is now coming into Blackpool. Blackpool Pleasure Beach just built a new hotel. We had a new Hilton Hotel built on the front. Houses, every bit of brown land that's going, is new houses being built on there. To be fair, I'm not sure where all these people are coming from to buy these houses, but there is a lot of investment now coming into Blackpool.
3: Right. It's and, and I mean, presumably can... when you have things like the Open Golf Championship played at Lytham St. Anne's, you, you, yeah. you have a massive influx of people and money, right?
6: Well, with Brexit as well, uh, because the power's become weaker, Blackpool over the past few years, I work in, I work in leisure. Okay. So Blackpool is, is seeing some of the, the best years it's ever had, going back to the 80s now with people coming to Blackpool instead of going abroad and coming for long weekends and um, obviously you get people who come on day trippers, but right. people are now coming back because it's a cheaper alternative than going abroad. Yeah. well,
3: do you know, when I was I... living in Glasgow, there was a lot of people from Scotland we would go to Blackpool for the weekend because it's relatively, clo- it's relatively close to them, and certainly loads and loads of, like, stag-doos and hen-doos. If you were from Scotland, you'd go to Blackpool.
6: They are trying to cut back on the stag-doos, and they are trying to bring back families as well. Because, uh, I mean, if you used to go to the Tower, it used to have uh, the Tower Lounge, which was well known for parties. So they've actually turned that into a Harry Ramsden's now because okay. the, the investment has been put into the battle Tower. I mean, we're just having a whole new Talbot gateway. We do have a big Sainsbury's in the Tower. We have all the major supermarkets as well. It's a, it's a, it is, have you got it's a Waitrose? We don't have a waitrose. We're not that posh. All
3: right, okay. Well, that'll be the next but, one, right? That'll be we'll just a just for a waitrose.
6: A waitrose, maybe in Liverpool, <laughs> you could possibly get one there. Right. But like I say there is, there is, but on a serious side, I mean, I've got a friend that works at, uh, at schools, and they do have to do the breakfasts and things as well. But again, a lot of the people they aren't originally people from Blackpool. They right. are people that have come out of town to Blackpool with all their problems. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I know Italy, all black people can't... No, listen,
3: I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to, to, to make... I certainly wouldn't have wanted to give the impression that we were saying Blackpool was, like, the worst place in England because everybody knows that's Sunderland. No, I'm not just joking. It, it, I'm just no, joking. No, no, no. Um, I mean, if you go up the road to Morecambe,
6: which is about 35, 40 miles away, which is another city, that's even, in a worse... Place. I mean, the thing with Blackpool, they've invested so you do get tourism. Yeah. A lot of these other coastal towns, like in North Wales, they, they're not getting tourism, so they're trying to find alternatives... But luckily, we do get a good... I think Blackpool gets about 7 million visitors a year. Right. So, okay. You know, but what happened as well originally is a lot of that money was taken out of the town because it was given to corporations. Now it's a lot of... The, the council have bought back certain parts of like, like the business. We just had to buy, uh, buy back Hill because it was going bankrupt think, for about the fourth time. Right. So the council bought it back at half its price. So, at least that money now is going to stay in the town.
3: Interesting. Well, I'm heading north uh, around Christmas time. So, maybe I'll drop in and uh, check in uh, somewhere near yeah. Blackpool. Nice hotel. Where's the nice hotel to stay?
6: They do, well, we have a De Vere, which is one of my customers. But uh, we've also the, the, the new Hilton on the front. There's okay. also the big uh, the Blackpool Hotel. That's really nice. It's just been done as well. Blackpool Pleasure Beach one. So, you could go on the ride as well.
3: Yeah, well, the kids but, would yeah, love yeah, that, the, I suppose.
6: Yeah, and like I say, you can get Costa. We do Cappuccino. Uh, you could get a latte and a few other ones as well <laughs> Okay. So, well listen Paul so you've been
3: a, a magnificent ambassador for Blackpool so well played And uh, thank was you. my first
6: time so I was a little Well, nervous, listen, you did hope... make me want to pull over to, well, just well, to good. To you.
3: well I hope you enjoyed it and uh, do call us again Paul in Blackpool there defending Blackpool and I promise you I was not in any way trying to rubbish Blackpool in any way shape or form it just so happened that the Sunday Times Christmas Appeal started there is based there uh, is going to help an awful lot of people who are very poor who happen to live there uh, so please do not Not take offence at anything that was said about the town by Eleanor Mills because she's doing some very good work and some very uh, necessary work as well. So uh, thanks very much indeed. Across the
1: UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic
3: of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.